You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. There are good ways to plant a tree and then there are some not so good ways to plant a tree. In this episode, we're lucky enough to have Jason Gooden on the show to explain how the pros do it. He's the Supervisor of Sales and Customer Service at Arbor Green, which provides the Australian horticultural, revegetation and urban forestry industries with a range of products. He's led enough tree planting projects to know what he's talking about. G'day Jason, thanks for coming on the show mate. How's he done? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about planting trees. Basically, how do professionals do it as opposed to someone who probably doesn't know a whole lot about it. So let's start with right plant, right place, right reason, right aftercare. Can we just plant any old plant or tree in any old place for any reason? Or do we need to be thinking about where we're putting what? It's a good question. I think it's probably the biggest challenge in the industry that there is a right place and a right time to plant a plant and we need to have a plan in place to maintain the plant. Plants, there are native plants to specific soils, specific places. Uh, climate change is playing a big part with councils, with uh, obviously the increase in the heat is meaning that some plants simply cannot be used anymore within certain areas of Australia. So certainly making uh, climate change is making uh, making it very challenging for many of the arborists out there that are responsible to plant trees. Yeah, especially when we're thinking about these multi-generational lifespans of trees. Correct. So, yeah, you know, just because the weather might be predictable within the next five or ten years doesn't mean a whole lot to the lifespan of a tree. Yes, you're right. And I guess it depends on the purpose for the tree. Why are we planting the yeah. tree? What do we want it to look like? And have we got the resources to maintain that tree 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the track? Yeah, absolutely. So what sort of digging tools do you reckon are best for digging the different sized holes that we might be looking to plant different sized plants? Awesome question. With <laughs> so We supply tools all the way from planting tube stock, uh, your small 50 mil tubes for uh, typically in a revegetation type project or a broad scale project, right through to the different materials used when you're planting trees, established trees. The industry knows of Hamilton tree planters, potapukis, speed spades. These things are used for revegetation projects where different types of soil types, and then you've got how fast you actually want to get the trees in the ground, right mm. through to an excavator with a drum cutter they're typically called for planting a large tree or a, uh, a high pressure water blast will rip out a hole quite quick and allow you to plant a tree in a hole that's got mm. rough sides it's a tricky question and then you've got to keep in mind if you're working in a council area services you got irrigation mm. pipes have you got a gas main running nearby Probably not a real smart idea to use an excavator, right? Mm -hmm. So in those situations, something like a water blaster will uh, mean the services are safer or get die before you dig in to check out where the surfaces mm -hmm. are before you start planting. Die before you dig is a good one. Mm. I'm just Googling the number because I can't actually remember it. Yeah, while you're doing that, the other option is an auger. So in uh, you can use a small auger from a revegetation project on the end of, say, a steel machine. We've got a little um, Tanaki petrol-powered auger, and you can use that to mm. typically better in harder soils where trying to plant with a spade, Hamilton, or a pot of pook is not possible, right through to an auger on an excavator. Challenge there, though, Daniel is that if you have a hole with smooth, solid sides, the roots will always follow a path, typically follow a path of least resistance. You don't want the roots to swirl around the inside of the hole. That makes mm. sense. Augers are quick, but can be a challenge down the track. Got to make sure you break up the hole. Mm. 
Absolutely. So that's especially in clay. Yeah, particularly in clay. Yeah, um, I'm based in the Adelaide Hills, very clay here, very hard soils. Using an auger is not always the smartest move if you can't break it up once you've finished cutting the hole. What did you find out about dial before you dig? Well, um, it's a bit more complicated than number. I thought it used to just be a number. It was like 1100 or something like that. But now <laughs> I'm looking at it, they want you to sign up. <laughs> dial before you dig is a big, well, I'm not going to say challenge, but it's something that contractors need to consider, especially if you're doing contract planning for councils. The risks of services are simply too high to ignore. You need to think mm-hmm. about that before you dig. We work with, we have a product called Hydro Auger, which is a high-pressure water blaster, a good quality one. And contractors can use that around services because it lowers the risk of damage to the services. Dial before your dig cost to some contractors can be up in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. It's a big cost for contractors. So that's to sign up for the dial before you dig service, not to make a mistake and crush a pipe or something? you got to call them out to your site. They've got to do the check on the site right. and you pay for that. So it's not as simple as just calling a number and saying, hey, here's my GPS coordinates. Can you tell me where there are any uh, hazards? It's a bit more complex. Typically, they'll come to site and check, make sure that there okay. is no unknown services. Mm-hmm. Mm. That makes sense. So the tools we're looking at aren't always just as simple as a spade or a trowel. Yes, they are simple. <laughs> I guess it depends <laughs> how many trees you're planting and how fast you're planting them. We do work with contractors that plant, well, tens of thousands of trees a year. I can't see many of them using a spade or a shovel, if that makes no. sense. <laughs> no, if you've got maybe two or three. <laughs> got to be innovative in that sort of space. Uh, we need to plant the trees effectively, safely, mm-hmm. but also that has to be cost effective. And the faster you can move through it, the quicker you can get through all the tree planting. For a contractor, more to the bottom line. For a council, means your trees are planted on time and within the time that you have allotted. Absolutely. So we're keeping in mind any power lines, irrigation, things like that. You know, you'd rather hit an irrigation pipe than, you know, power line. But at the end of the day, we're going to try and avoid hitting any of them. It's just a waste of time, isn't it, Daniel? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, a, my goodness. Pipe, if the whole team stops, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Absolutely. Time is money. Hmm. When you're mentioning like you need to worry about root binding, what, can hmm. you tell me a little bit more about what, what we're talking about there? What are the different ways that plants can become bound in their roots? Wow. So... Initially, it can happen right back where the nursery is propagating. If they're growing from a seed, it can start with what we call a J root, which is where you get a tap root. And when they put, pick the seed, put in a bigger pot, it can uh, at the bottom of the root can uh, twist back up, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. challenge with that is that tap root's the main root. And if that root has a kink or a twist in it, it can actually come back 10 years' time and cause a failure in the tree. So that's probably one of the first places where it can happen. And obviously, as they're potting up the plant from a smaller pot to a larger pot, if you're using a sometimes, I guess it's more, it's on the nursery, but it's also on us, all the contractors, the councils who are procuring the trees or the plants to check the root system in a solid walled pot. While the pots are very cost effective and are more water efficient too, the roots can hit the side of the pot and sometimes they can just start to twist around if that makes sense daniel just to follow the side of the pot around yeah so when we are procuring the tree pull the tree out it's a good idea to check that root system just to make sure if there's any roots that are wrapping around the edge of the root ball just to pull them out we can see that not typically see that and make sure that if you're looking at the surface i'm not a nurseryman by any standards but if you're looking at the surface or just under the surface of the soil in the pot, you want to make sure there's no roots running around in a circle Mm. because as the tree grows, that root's going to grow quite effectively, strangles the tree. So that can be stopped right back at the start by using, uh, they're more costly, but uh, air pots or uh, rocket pots. Uh, They're pots that are designed to air prune the roots. As the roots grow out, the roots are pruned, causes more roots to grow. The, root, the pots are more costly. 
require a bit more water and fertilizer because there's a far more vigorous growth in the tree and the nursery. So, yeah, it depends on the nursery you're buying off. And then yeah, it's on us when we plant the tree to make sure <laughs> the hole is broken up and suitable. The roots aren't going to start binding around the edge of the hole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And your air pots are really cool that you offer too because they're actually resizable, I saw. Correct. So there's multiple sizes of air pots. Typically, people that use our air pots are buying, like, sorry, growing larger trees, uh, 100 litre or larger, because you can customise mm. the size of the pot once you get that big. Those pots are fantastic. For a nursery, as long as you've got water and nutrients to go into the pot, you can leave the tree in there for a lot longer because they can't, what's well, lower likelihood for the tree to get root bound in the pot. Whereas with a solid walled pot, you have to keep moving that tree into a larger pot or get it out of the pot because it will become pot bound. Absolutely. So if our listeners are thinking about that, you know, I'm sure you can imagine how those roots are spiraling around, but then I want you to imagine as well as the tree ages, they're getting thicker. So imagine how those roots are all constricting each other as they get that lateral growth year on year and they get thicker and thicker. Correct. So it's basically strangling itself. Correct. So, what do we need to think about when planting in heavy clay? You said we can break it up. So do you mean just like at without breaking up too much below the plant so that it sinks, especially if it's got a heavy root ball, which we, we don't want because we want it to sit flush, which we'll talk about soon. But yeah, with clay, can you can you explain your process for breaking up the clay? Clay is a challenging and interesting soil. It has good properties. It holds nutrients and moisture. Challenge is it can hold too much moisture at times. So it's good to try and break it up. We can either put some compost in there or gypsum sand or some organic matter in there to help to break up the, the clay a bit more. So, yes, if you're planting in clay, break it up. Maybe remove some and, if possible, get some good topsoil or any of those that I mentioned before in there, as opposed to sand. Sand does the opposite effect. It doesn't hold nutrients. It doesn't hold a lot of water. So you probably want to get something in there to hold some water around the root ball. And again, that's where some sort of composted soil or organic matter. Uh, we sell two products. Uh, folks on the call may know of Nutrog. They're based in the Adelaide Hills and they make some fantastic organic soil conditioners or fertilizers. They have two, mm. one called Seamungus, another called Rapid Razor, both made from composted chicken manure. The seamungus has seaweed emulsion in there as well. Seaweed has a very high water holding capacity. So if you mix those sorts of uh, organic uh, soil conditioners in with the plant in the hole, they'll help to increase organic matter, increase microbe activity, and then increase the soil water holding capacity as well if needs be. Absolutely. And I'd point our listeners to go and listen to episode... Sorry, just give me a second... So thirty-two. Is that soil carbon? That's the um. When no community. Li- oh yes, one. that's the other one. Yep, <laughs> thirty-two is Russell Horsey. Yeah. So Russell Horsey um has a great little mix. He uses he uses charcoal, seaweed, and um worm castings. So that's probably going to give some similar effects to what you're talking about there. Correct. And then episode 40, Soil Carbon with Dr. Sam Grover, sort of talks about some of the benefits of adding organic matter to the soil there. So important. So Organic important. matter, I think we can't, we kind of miss the um, – it's one of the challenges we come against a fair bit, Daniel, is I guess we as an organisation tend to lean more towards organic, uh, adding organics and planting trees. reason for that is if the soil's good, the tree will be good, right? So when Mm. we're planting a tree as humans, there's not a lot we can do other than try and make the soil good and appropriate for the tree. There's lots of fertilizers out there. NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, (laughs) potassium fertilizers. Fertilizers Mm. are great and they get the tree growing. But what we've got to remember is they don't always have the long-lasting effects that we're really looking for. So when we plant a tree, we want to increase the organic matter, increase microbial activity because those, um, I noticed, Gary Moran mentioned one of your earlier podcasts about mycorrhizal activity. Okay, if we can increase all of that, it's a long-standing future for the tree. But if we Mm -hmm. try to work towards the fast, immediate inputs, 
of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, it doesn't always lead to the long-term outputs that we're looking for. Does that make sense? Mm. There's, there's a place for everything. Yeah. Because in nature, you don't just often see these minerals without some sort of process going on there revolving around some kind of an organic matter breakdown. Correct. Well, all, exactly. all mineral breakdown too, because you've got minerals breaking down too. Yeah. But that's usually involving some kind of fungi, bacteria of some kind. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got to, and sometimes those organic, putting all that stuff in, I guess it can be more of a challenge with the, or oh, maybe the landscape architects or the con- landscape contractors who kind of want to get the tree and they want it looking nice soon. Mm. And then we maintenance gardeners are left to watch that tree decline over the next five to 10 years. Yeah. So I, I guess. I'm kind of asking the guys that are involved in getting these trees in the ground, think about where you're trying to go in the extended period of time. And then, of course, when you're maintaining the tree, it's good to keep the water up to the tree, keep the soil moist, not wet. And something like a seesaw or Neutrog have some liquid Mm -hmm. organic fertilizer. Neutrog have one called go-go juice, which is fantastic. That's just a microbial liquid that just introduced microbes back into the soil so it's not actually a conditioner as such it's just putting microbes into the soil so there's lots of great products out there yeah like a probiotic so i've heard of a few different shapes being talked about when we're digging planting holes Mm. in episode 34 risky trees Gary said uh, that he likes to dig a wok shape so that it's sort of wider at the top than it is at the base. What do you think about that? Love it. Important. Uh, One we have here in the office, if you're planting established trees particularly, is if you can sit, so create a big wok, but almost like a W shape. So you come back down and bring the center of the hole just up Mm -hmm. a little bit. And what that does, it sits the roots up off the base of the hole, a little bit better for drainage. And as the roots grow, they grow down and now on a bit of an angle. Is that, can, can we picture that? So like a W shape where the tree's planted on top of a small rise in the base of the hole. Right. Almost like you have a dimple. Yes. And the wok shape helps because it, it's going to encourage more water into the hole as well. And as we typically know, the top 400 millimetres is where the main roots will grow to feed and get water, which is where root barriers can be mm. useful to stop those roots growing under or around surfaces. Yeah, absolutely. So how deep and how wide should we dig based on how big a root ball is? Ah, great. I always say, we we always say dig the hole twice the width of the pot or the root ball. Hmm. And the depth, it's good to sit the root ball on solid ground if possible. Only reason there is if you dig a hole twice the depth and don't compact the soil in the base properly, it can get a bit of subsidence and the, the, the tree will subside a bit. Does that make sense? It'll sink down a bit. Mm-hmm. Challenge there is down the track as the soil builds up around the base of the tree. If you get soil building up or mulch even building up around the base or the collar of the tree, there's a higher risk of root uh, collar rot. So obviously the soil starts to bite into eat into the collar of the tree and it's just not real healthy for the tree, that's all. Yeah, roots generally like to be in the soil. Stems generally like to be in the air. Not always hard and fast, like you'll find exceptions, but that's the general rule. Typically, yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned there like volcano, well, I call it volcano mulching, and I've also heard it called the cone of death when people sort of put mulching or, you know, soil or even I've seen often grass clippings piled around the trunk. So we probably shouldn't do that, should we? Don't do it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh it is and it happens i guess the challenge uh, i'm not sure if any councils or government departments can be listening in on this residents do it we do it don't we i've cut the lawn i'm going to put a little bit of mulch around the base of my tree guess what i'm doing i'm killing the tree <laughs> pull it away from the base of the tree see when we mm. put this mulch around the tree we've got to remember typically the roots if you look up the tree and see the where the branches are growing if you take the outer branches and come down that's the drip line of the tree that's where the roots are going to be. So putting this mulch on an established big tree up against the trunk of the tree, yeah, it's good. You know, it's going to introduce a bit of micro- microbial activity into the soil and a bit more nutrients. Just pull it away from the trunk of the tree. That's um, my only 
urge, mm. especially for residents, uh, for folks that uh, maybe not as interested in trees as some of the rest of us are. Mm, absolutely. So we can also sort of talk about um, like the ways that we can damage a tree when we're planting it. We, mm. You know, we can be as gentle as possible and we can still actually cause damage to a plant when we're planting it. Yeah. It happens in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, obviously there's a damage that happens, if I can say, above the soil, as in we break a branch. Mm. If you do break a branch while you're planting, it's a good idea to get a good pair of secateurs, maybe just cut the branch. Uh, breakages can introduce mm. diseases and uh, whatnot, similar to a human, I guess. Mm. Uh, under the ground, we do want to break the roots up a bit, especially if they are quite bound, as in they're starting to spiral around. We do want to open that out a bit. Not too much. We don't want to damage the main roots. The tree will mm. continue to grow, but it will just be stunted. Mm. Or worst case, it may die down the track. Mm. The main thing is to be careful with the trunk. We don't want to damage the trunk when we're planting a young, small tree because that damage can, uh, mm. in the future, it can be quite an ugly look, especially if it's a, a strategic tree. Yeah. Yeah, you might think, oh, it doesn't matter, even if it's just a little bit of bark, doesn't matter. But sometimes it actually does matter. Yeah. I was going to say you got the damage when you're planting damage after. So mm. we've got folks mowing around the trees. We've got folks um, doing all that sort of stuff. We've got to make sure we don't damage the tree down the track as well. And that's where having a, a green well can help to keep people away from the trees, having a... Uh, we call them mm. scent tree. They're little protectors that go in the base of the tree. Keep mower decks away from the tree. They're the worst. Keep uh, yeah. whippersnippers, lion trimmers away from the tree. All these things, they um, over time, we've seen it with mower decks, you know, constant tapping with a mower deck causes a lot of damage to a tree. Yeah, absolutely. And as a maintenance gardener, I have a fun story that still gives me shivers to think about. I was operating a zero-turn mower with the with the side shoot up, which you should never do, but it was uh, deemed to be safe because it was in a large paddock and it was very long grass. So we did a, that that one past the swims test. But um, I'm not saying that anyone out there should should ride a ride on without a shoot up ever. But what happened was I had because a zero-turn basically pivots, um, you know, with one wheel stuck to the ground, so you can do a 360 degree turn on the ground. I had the side shoot up, and as I was turning, um, turning, I accidentally just clipped um, a small citrus tree and carved a large chunk out of the base of it because, um, yeah, the, the shoot was up and the blades actually did cut into that tree. So mm. that's <laughs> not something I'm proud of, but something that still <laughs> I still think about sometimes. Yeah, have you been back and had a look at that tree now? I no, I haven't. But for a couple of years, it was still okay, actually. But I would be interested to see oh. how it's going now. Mm. <laughs> still enough cambium there. Oh, it's still enough um, xylem and phloem, enough yeah, vascular tissue must have been. Yeah. And I guess it's also a challenge, Daniel, with your councils. I mean, they've planted trees and they've got good intents and heart. Mm. You've got to – the hardest thing is working with contractors to educate them on the importance of, well, staying away from the base of trees but protecting the base of the trees. Yeah. It's it's important. Yeah, that base is the intermediary between the tips and the roots, so it like literally is the most important part. Correct. So what do we need to think about when we're positioning a tree in a hole as we're planting? Well, you want a straight? <laughs> right? <laughs> one of one of my arguments in an ideal world we'd never need to stake a tree. It's not mm. always possible because wind, maybe not perfect planting practices, and trees are going to blow over and whatnot. Hmm. It's, you want the tree straight. Ideally, the top of the soil in the pot is the same level as the soil around it, as in you don't want to sink the um, root ball down so far that you build dirt up around the trunk of the tree, as we've spoken about. And you want to compact the soil around it enough to hold the tree. It should be able to stand up on its own firm, but you don't want to compact it with a compactor. Uh, that <laughs> might be going too far. Just with your feet, be sufficient. Make sure there's not too many air pockets in the soil. And 
you can stake the tree. I'd strongly suggest you don't tie the tires too tight. It's good to let the tree move, Daniel. Humans, mm. we do bodybuilding for a reason, right? You <laughs> exert a lot of energy to stretch and wear those muscles and it increases the muscles. Trees are the same. The trees can move. It lets the roots grow. All right? Naturally, the roots will grow to anchor the tree naturally, if that makes sense. And mm. the trunk's the same. It moves in the wind. It strengthens itself as according to the direction of the wind. Interesting situation. We've had a lot of rain here in Mount Barker in the past couple of weeks. I hopped out of the, I went up into my car, sorry, about two mornings ago. A beautiful pyrus has been planted about three years ago. It's uh, four meters tall now. The contractors took the stakes off uh, a couple of months ago. It had a little well or a um, berm or a volcano around the, well, not a volcano, but a berm around the base of the right to capture water. Had a lot of water in there. And I thought, well, that's not real good for the tree two hours after rain to still have a burn full of water. I thought, that's not getting away. That's mm. not good for the root system. So I walked over there just to have a look what to do about them. And the tree was a good 150 millimeters in trunk diameter at about chest time. I grabbed mm. the tree and pushed it. The whole tree moved about three feet in at the top. It just tipped. And I thought, wow, here's a massive tree, massive, good, healthy looking tree. Guess what? It had been tied so tight to the stakes, the roots hadn't yet mm. formed. I could see quite literally the root ball moving in the ground. Now, I thought, mm. this is why we have to be careful when we stake trees. It's good to stake the tree and keep it upright. But make sure the tree is planted straight and don't use the tree ties to straighten the tree. That's a bad way to plant a tree. Let the tree move naturally. It's good for the tree. You don't want it to tip over, but stop it going too far. We've started working with an organization that sells a product called Tree Coach. So it's a gym or a coach for a tree. <laughs> it's a flexible tree staking system. In other words, let the tree move in any direction it wants to move. Let it flex. Folks can look that up. And it, yep. it gets away from the solid hardwood stakes that restrict trees often too much so that's that's important passionate about that one <laughs> so just like a gym it's going to give the plant um room to express its you know flexibility without going too far so you know in in a human gym we usually have these safety measures to stop us from breaking our muscles or our bones and stuff like that correct yeah so now we've planted the plant it's you know we've we've got the correct stake in if we need to stake it at all and you know we've got the most beautiful side facing where most people are going to see it you know maybe you mm -hmm. have more foliage on one side we'll face that to where people can see it and now we fill in the soil what do we need to be thinking yep. about here when we're filling in soil and mulching other than volcano mulching which we've already mentioned we're going to want to water the tree uh, in Australia, most areas of Australia, should I say, we don't tend to get rain during summer or the dry season. So we're possibly going to want to water the tree down the track. Now, either we're doing it or somebody else. Now, we can create a berm and a berm works. Uh, that's like creating a little pile of mulch, uh, mulch or dirt just away from the tree so that it holds, holds water. A product to consider is a green well. It's a recycled plastic product that can be popped in. A lot of councils in SA, Victoria, use them. They're reusable. Pop it around the base of the tree. It lets you water the tree. It gives you a protection from the trunk of the tree, and then it keeps mower decks away. It lets people give some. It gives a lineal barrier for uh, folks with line trimmers to run around, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And put a little bit of mulch inside. It'll hold water and direct the water straight down to the root ball. First two, three years using a green wall. Helps to direct the water a little bit more, establish the tree a little better. Same as the tree coach. The tree coach also has this little well in the base of it. Again, you don't want to bring mulch too far up the stem of the tree, if at all. And then going down the track, a little bit of a seaweed treatment from sea salt or neutral or any other liquid fertilizing mm. or organic fertilizing product is good. And if you can, get some on instantly it's to give the tree a little bit of a tonic uh, with the stress and the, of being replanted. <laughs> <laughs> And when you're talking about fertilizer, maybe hold off on something too strong. Maybe mix up a nice weak mixture. I think sea salt and seaweed mixtures are usually pretty safe because they don't have high amounts of NPK. Mm, correct. I agree. 
Yeah, you don't want to burn him, burn the poor plant out before he even has a chance. <laughs> no, got to remember too that the soil <laughs> that's come from the nursery has likely got slow release fertilizer in it as well. Mm. Those small little yellow balls. That's true. So we've talked about stakes, but did you want to talk about ties? It's staking is you don't want the tree to fall over just after you've planted. So you need to hold it upright, and that's where it is important to stake. Now I just want to reiterate with people that you don't need to stake the height of the tree mm. okay most situations most situations you only need to tie the tree up about a third of the way up the trunk now if we put the tie too high up the tree as in over half the height of the tree what we're doing is we're not letting the tree naturally move form and strengthen itself if folks are listening into this call that are planting large quantities of tree, you've got to remember that any stake you see above the tire is wasted money. I run a business, and that's something that bothers me when I see that. Uh, organizations, landscape contractors, councils, they want the best price for tree stakes, and then they'll order a 1.8 meter long tree stake and plant that with a 45 liter tree. We'll drive down the road a couple of weeks later and see a whole pile of trees where the tree tie is only about 800 or so mils up the stake. And then you've got a foot mm. or two feet of hardwood above that tie. Now, if you're a contractor and you are concerned about your bottom line, maybe consider using a shorter stake. <laughs> We're very passionate about that here at Arbogreen. We understand how businesses run and that at the end of the day, we want businesses to be profitable because that's how we employ people, pay people, so on, right? So mm. it's important to consider that when you're planting the tree. Don't put the tie up too high. Make sure you've got a good, sturdy, strong tree from the nursery. If it's not, maybe send it back. And put the tie maybe a third of the way up, a bit higher if, if the tree doesn't look very strong. And pick the appropriate stake. Don't specify a three-meter high 50 by 50 stake for a 45 litre tree. Don't laugh, Daniel. We've seen it. It's very <laughs> amusing to walk into somebody's office with a three metre high stake and a 15 kilogram post knock and say, here, how are you going to do this? And you see the person that specified it standing there with a 15 kilo piece of metal in the hand, staring up at a three metre stake going, we can't. <laughs> so if you're an architect or specifying, be thoughtful of the person that's going to be on the ground putting these in. <laughs> Yeah. So just like right plant, right place, we want the right stake for the right tree. And we also want the right ties for the right situation as well. Correct. There's lots of different ties out there. Uh, I don't have any personal preference, to be honest. Uh, the two, or sorry, three mm. popular ones here is a 10 millimeter chain lock tie. That is great. You can cut it to length as you need. There's quite a few councils that love that. There's a 50 millimeter wide poly webbing. Looks a bit like seatbelt, if you can picture that. And then there's a 50 millimeter wide Hessian tire. Now, the Hessian is degradable, so it will break after a year, maybe two. It's good. The tree's established itself. The tire's going to break. Let the tree grow. Uh, in the state that I'm in, there's trees that are three years old and still have the poly plastic tire around a. Mm tree that is well and truly sufficient to grow on its own now not a big deal until you go and take the tie off and find out the branches have grown around it it strangled the tree a little bit and mm. the caliper of the tree above the tie is thicker than the caliper of the tree below the tie which means the tree has been mm -hmm. so tight that everything above the tie has moved and strengthened itself and everything below hasn't had the opportunity to move and grow and strengthen itself that's scary mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a weak point yeah and that's where you get breakages. Yep. I've one of the most funny tires I've ever seen was, um, you know, in Australia we call them a bungee cord. I'm not sure if our US listeners overseas call them something else, but it's essentially like a an elastic cord wrapped around with fabric, and then it's got two metal hooks covered in plastic at either end. Mm -hmm. They come in handy with all different things, and yeah, there I saw a rose staked with them onto a star picket, and the rose had literally grown right around those two metal hooks. Um, and yeah, you know, it was just ready to break at the, at, you know, at the first big gust of wind, essentially. Not a good look. And then, and then you've got the challenge, Daniel, if, if the contractor, or I guess this challenge stands more for councils or developers in particular, they get a contractor in to plant the trees 
stake the trees, tie the trees, maintain the trees for a period of time, often two to three years. Mm. And then the, if it's a development, it gets handed over to the council. If it's a council tree plant, it gets handed back to the council. What is often forgotten at the budgeting stage four years prior is we need to remove those stakes and ties and mm -hmm. maybe do a formative prune of that tree. Now, mm. if you leave those stakes and ties there for too long, it thwarts the ability of the tree to grow and strengthen itself down the track. Oh, and they look ugly. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They stick out like a sore thumb when you know that they're supposed to be removed. Yes, agreed. I forgot to mention something before um, about watering. Do you recommend watering the night before planting? Make sure the root ball of the tree is moist. If you've bought a tree, keep it moist. Hmm. So don't plant it dry. No. <laughs> if you want the tree to survive, it's probably <laughs> best to keep it moist. I, I've always had a bit of a practice. I'm not sure if it's best practice, but just to maybe give the tree a bit of a liquid seaweed feed the, the night or the day before planting. Yeah. That makes sense. Hmm. That's what yeah. I've heard too. Sometimes you can't do it if you're picking up plants the night that that morning and you're going to plant them that day. Yeah. But the nursery is probably keeping on track of all that stuff anyway. Correct. So did you want to touch on the tree coach system again? Well, it's new. It's a mindset changing product, which is why in our organization we're quite innovative and trying to find faster, cheaper, easier way for people to plant trees. <laughs> the tree coach <laughs> The GrowFlex technology of the stakes allows the tree to be tested and strengthened by the natural elements, okay? And mm. the watering ring helps to protect the collar and get some water delivered to the root ball. And the, if you're tying the tree, they help to guide and support the tree, but they don't, you can't, because of the flexible stakes, you can't actually hold the tree tight, if that makes sense. Oftentimes we're planting a tree, mm -hmm. we kind of pull those tires nice and tight and sturdy. We can't do that oh. with the tree coach. So it forces proper planting practices. I love that. Now the product, the warm and fuzzy bit of it, it's all manufactured from recycled stuff in Melbourne. So it closes mm -hmm. that loop, I guess, on recycling. Now once those once the tree's established, you just pull the stakes out, they're plastic, and you can pull the ring out. So the whole lot comes out of the ground, if that makes sense. And now, now they're, now they're mm. available with a biodegradable ring around the base. For architects, if you're listening in, trying to plant stakes in a nice, tidy row can be a little bit challenging sometimes. These things, these tree coaches, they look clean and tidy. They've got a curved staking system. It's very aesthetically complementary in an urban environment. <laughs> they do look great. I've seen them. They do. They're easy to install, safer to install. You don't have to come back and knock mm. the stakes in with a post knocker. Um, for those out there that have had the lovely pleasure of planting 100 <laughs> trees in a day and knocking in 200 stakes, my word, your shoulders know all about it. This thing here, it goes mm. in the ground. The stakes are already there. Encourage folks to have a look. Sustainable, responsible, you know, used from curbside waste, made here in Australia, 100% recyclable once it's removed and reusable. Yeah, and reusable so you can... Put it on your next project too. So it just lifts over the tree or do you disconnect it and then take two parts away separately? You, If that makes sense. Yeah, it just pulls apart. So there's three stakes lift out and the base, yeah. you lift it up and it just okay. clips apart and you can unwrap it from around the tree. Hmm. Cool. I was going to say what you'll find, the main, the main uh, motivation for us with the tree coach product is that because the tree is allowed to move naturally, it in decreases root plate failure rates. So... Typically with councils, and a lot of people are going to argue with me on this, and you're welcome, uh, typically root plate failures, and that's where trees with the root plate comes undone, the tree either falls over or the tree dies from root plate failures. Typically, it's between 10 and 20% of trees are going to fail from root plate failures, establishment failures. Tree coach we did some trials uh, so far. It's just over 400 trees. It's down to about 2% replate failure rate. So for you and I, that's probably not a big issue, Daniel. But for councils, where if a tree fails, mm. it costs a lot of money. You've got a tree that's died. You have to remove the tree, pay someone to do that, or send your guys out mm. to do that. You need to redig the hole and get somebody in to replant a tree plus a new tree. The cost 
of fixing that tree is a lot. And we often forget that. So if we can minimize mm-hmm. the failure rates of replate, establishment fails, failures, we're saving a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. So can you explain a little bit more about what the root plate is? The root plate is the root system, typically called the root plate. Okay, so that's the whole root system. Yeah. Rather than a root ball in a pot, you'd have a root plate in a natural tree. So the roots, the surface roots, or the roots in the um, top 400 mils of the soil is what we call the root plate. That the shallow lateral growth of the roots tend to be what we call the root plate. Now, if they fail, that's where the tree can obviously tip over. Mm. And usually, those root plate, those roots in the uh, lateral roots, are what. They allow the tree to exploit nutrients basically off the surface. Mm. And they anchor a plant to the ground. So they're a natural, (laughs) the plant's natural stake. Yeah, correct. (laughs) Is there a best time to plant? Good question, that one. There (laughs) is no best time. It is a great idea to plant the tree while the soils are moist. And you're having a bit of rain because it saves you having to water the tree. For councils and people planting large quantity of trees, that makes sense. For you and I planting one or two trees in the backyard, oh, you could do any time of the year because we can water it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's winter, summer, spring, you know, what the plant wants to be doing in its natural state. Any time of the year is fine and any time of the day is fine. Just make sure it's wet. Or moist, rather. Probably wet is the wrong term. <laughs> moist, yeah. Some some trees will grow better as planted at certain times of the year. But the main thing is, if you're planting a large quantity of trees, you don't want to have to be out there watering those trees every week after you've done it because that costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time. So planting uh, for councils in SA or Victoria around this time of year is great. Moisture in the soil, tree can establish and grow before summer comes. Maybe you have to water it this summer, possibly a little bit next summer, but If you're really lucky, you won't have to. Yeah. We've touched on a couple of these, but I just wanted to address some of the factors that can cause stress to a tree during transplanting. What are some of the factors that can stress a tree, such as, you know, Uh, we've talked about dryness, heat, stuff like that. Yeah. Stress, don't don't want to disrupt the roots too much because that can stress the trees or cut too many off. You want to keep the moisture up to the tree so it doesn't, well, it doesn't get shock from a sudden dry period. Mm. Uh, frost, extra heat, those things can all stress the tree. You don't want to plant the tree while you're expecting frost, nor is it a good idea to plant the tree when you're expecting a massive dry period or a very hot period and burn the leaves. And we've seen it before where trees are planted maybe at the wrong time and they'll drop their leaves or maybe a bit lower to come, a bit later to come out in leaf. Sometimes they can work themselves out, and you know, over a period of time, it's just not real good for the tree, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you might have a, you want the best success rate possible, especially when you're planting lots of them. Correct. And then the other other thing to think about, Daniel, too, is once you put the tree in prune up. Yeah, formative pruning. So important, right? So, what do you recommend there? So. It's important to look at the tree. Now, ideally, the tree you've uh, procured from the nursery is appropriate and ready to be planted and doesn't need any pruning. Some trees are used in different situations where maybe you do want to prune it, lift the branches up maybe, so maybe prune some of the base branches off. If you've got any competing branches, you don't want two main stems. You want to remove one of those stems. Interesting, we had some trees planted in our estate. Now, our two trees out the front of our house are the biggest and best-looking trees. When they were planted, they weren't pruned. I did that. And mm-hmm. they had um, a fork at the top and two two leaders coming out of that fork were of the same size. Both of them are pruned one leader off. Mm-hmm. It seems to have made all the difference. The trees are taller. They look mm-hmm. great, more established than a lot of the other trees down the stream. It's important. Yeah. Those forks can be a real problem if you let them develop, can't they? Yeah, too tight a fork. Uh, I'm sure there's specific terms to be used. 
uh, can lead in a long period down the track can lead to failures because as the branches grow, that bark is up in between those branches. It will rot and can just form a failure. So you have to check in with some guys that are experts on that sort of pruning. But I think a lot of sense, it's common sense. If you look at the tree, imagine it in 10 years' time, take the branches where they mm. are, make them bigger. What's it look like now? Mm. You'll never have more power to control the shape of a tree than, you know, when it's young. Correct. Absolutely. So do you have any advice for people who would like to transplant something, you know, maybe a little bit more established? So, so maybe something that's a 10-year-old tree or maybe even if it's just a shrub? Small things are easy to transplant. You can dig, dig it out. Don't damage too many of the roots. Uh, as soon as you get up to larger established trees, there are some fancy trucks out there used for uh, removing them. Uh, sorry, I'm now Googling a company in Australia. I think they're in Melbourne that has a vehicle designed and used for transplanting established trees. They're called established tree transplanters. I'm glad that there are people out there specialising in that because it's not a normal kind of a task. Challenging too. It's hard. Oh. Yeah, because those roots are not contained within a pot. No, and that tree's going to be heavy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Are you happy to move on or did you want to just... No, move on. I might come back to it if I find this organization. I think they're called established tree transplanters. I'm sure there's organizations out there. There's plenty of arborists that do it. So they can help Mm -hmm. out with excavating the tree, crane it out of the ground onto a truck and plant it. Not something we get too involved involved with. It's quite awesome Mm -hmm. to watch. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I've never seen anyone move a big tree, but I've heard some of the arborists in other podcasts talking about it, and it sounds like quite a mission. Especially if it's a tree that, and I've seen councils do it where they want to preserve a tree, but it may be in an inappropriate place for whatever reason, uh, whether a developer mm. is looking to move a tree or maybe get rid of one, and the council might step in and go, nah, we want to keep that tree for a specific reason, and they'll be happy to invest Uh, exorbitant amounts of money in digging that tree out and putting it somewhere else and hoping it lives. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess when we think about transplanting, um, you know, maybe if it's a smaller shrub and we can do it just by ourselves with a shovel, we're trying to keep as much of the root system and as much of the soil on as possible. We don't want to disturb the roots too much. Keep it some fertilizer as soon as it's in the ground. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier tools like the potty put key and... Mm. You know, that that brand has a couple of awesome products. Can you tell us about some of the other awesome products that you guys are offering to make our contractors' lives easier? If you're doing, okay, if you're a school or your national tree planting day is coming up in the near future, we have little spades, four or $5 up to $20. They're small spades. They're good for kids to use when they're planting trees, small mattocks. You could be someone doing a large-scale revegetation projects or regeneration. There are tools like the Hamilton Planter, Potapuki, Speed Spade, Maddox, uh, little trowels, particular design for planting hikos. These are all things that are designed to make planting faster so we can get them in the ground and move on. And then when you get up to councils, or contractors planting larger trees. Here you got your spades, your shovels, your picks, your mattocks. Uh, there's uh, organisations out there that make a drum cutter to go on an excavator that works ex- excellently. Uh, we can just use a simple excavator with a, just a bucket. Uh, High-pressure water blasters are a great idea because they don't damage any systems or existing tree roots. Hmm. What else did you have in mind, Daniel? I covered them all. Well, you covered a lot, but I wanted to hear you talk about the potty putki. Potty putki can be used with plants up to pots up to 60 millimetres in diameter. So that covers your Heiko plants, which is a four small 50 millimetre diameter tubes, up to the forestry tube, which is a 50 millimetre square tube. Now, the potty putki can be used in soft soils, so that's either prepared Soil, as in it's been ripped, soft, as in it's muddy or sandy, or uh, maybe topsoil has been blown or sprayed or spread in. The potapuki 
means you don't have to bend over. So you'd have a tray on your side with all your plants in it, if you can picture that. You'd move along, you'd thrust the pot of pook into the ground. You'd step on a lever which opens the mouth, drop the plant in the top of the tube, and then lift the pot of pook out and just step the soil beside the plant. You can effectively get plants in the ground very fast without bending over. Used typically for forestry type plantings. Fantastic. And we will have links in the show notes for people to shop on Arbor Green. Obviously, you can always check the show notes for relevant links. And we definitely do recommend you guys um, get yourself a pot of putki if you're really serious about planting a large number of seedlings. Yeah, big time. They're good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jason, is there anything else that you'd like the listeners to know about? Arbor Green is focused on, as an organization, the first and primary is the people in the organization and the people we get to work with. So we enjoy working with customers. Our vision is to become Australia's tree planting experts, sought after by businesses and local government. And our mission is to make customers smile. So we're doing our best to do that in every way, shape or possible. Hmm. And what drives us, our why, is we want to make people feel valued and empowered by making tree planting easier, faster and more cost effective. And that lets everybody work on improving Australia's natural environment. And I think that's what we're all trying to do, right? That's why we're planting trees. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we, we donate substantial funds. I believe they're substantial to rapid relief teams and organisation that's helping people uh, help people in need, really. So that's where mm-hmm. we uh, enjoy donating to that organisation, rrtglobal.org. Compassion in action, supporting communities in need. Fantastic. Thank you, Jason, for coming on and helping us to understand a little bit more about planting. I hope now our listeners feel a little bit more prepared to sort of tackle some of those um, planting jobs that maybe you might not have known quite how to do it and maybe you're second-guessing yourself. Welcome to call us if you have any questions. <laughs> yeah, and there will be links for the contact page as well. Cheers. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Pleasure. If you'd like to browse the products on Arbor Green, you can check the links in the show notes or Google search Arbor Green in Australia. Some episodes are actually quite dense with information, such as this episode, so I would actually recommend listening to this one again in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, make sure you check our back catalogue for other episodes you might like, such as episode 34, Spotting Risky Trees aka Widowmakers, episode 18, Urban Forestry in the 21st Century, or episode 45, Trees in Mythology.